and extravagant love as a means of triumphant praise. Next, on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. It really is true. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Today, we'll take a look at somebody who knew just how much they'd been forgiven. As a result, her praise of her master and her savior is extravagant. And it is a triumphant praise that comes along here in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We continue our survey of John today with a look at this marvelous act of worship and praise. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program. Well, chapter 12 will end the public ministry of Christ. He appears in the triumphal entry and uh, shows up, says, Behold, your king is among you. And so after this, the plot to kill him emerges. Chapter 13 through 17, he goes into an upper room just with his own. 18, the plot is carried out. He goes before Pilate. And so this is the last, the last public ministry of Christ recorded in the book of John. And we come to this moving scene that I liken it to a rose growing up in a barnyard full of manure. Everything is desperate. Uh, from John 11, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees set out to kill Jesus. They even have plans to kill Lazarus. And because that gets out, uh, Jesus, uh, he, he goes up to a place called Ephraim, north of Jerusalem, to hide out and to get away. And uh, then as the narrative goes along, uh, we find out that he makes a trip to Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. So it's a dangerous trip. He knows they're out to kill Lazarus. They're out to kill him. Why? The raising of Lazarus was an embarrassment, twofold embarrassment. It was an embarrassment politically and an embarrassment theologically. Christ was gaining in popular momentum and losing all control was the religious party of the Jews. They said, this man is going to get the whole world to go after him if we don't stop him. If you don't want to believe in him, you usually want to stop him. And so they set out to do it. They're embarrassed theologically, especially the Sadducees, who said there is no such thing as a resurrection. We don't buy it, and all of a sudden we've got a man that before the whole nation is looking us look like, make us look like fools. For he said he's the resurrection and the life, and guess what? He's got living proof that he can do it. This makes us look bad. We must do something to shut this man down. Then we come to the house at Bethany. This scene is described in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and here. There's a different woman in Luke 7. She's at the house of Simon the Pharisee. She's a known sinner 
probably a harlot or a prostitute, a woman of an ill reputation. That's a different scene. This is different. This is Mary, the beloved, who was always at his feet, the sister of Lazarus, a godly, wonderful woman. So this is what's going on here. And so they come in to the house. You got to get this scene. Christ has made a dangerous trip because he, the word got out that a special dinner of appreciation is going to be shown to him. I don't know about you, but if you could raise my sister Hazel right now, I'd throw a party for you. These, these gals aren't passive. We know our brother was dead for four days, and the whole community knows it. And this man comes into town. We thought it was too late, but God's never too late because there's always a divine design in delay. And he showed up just in time. And so now we come into this room, and it's buzzing. The disciples are there, so there's 12. Then you've got the community. Probably Simon the uh, leper's house was bigger than Lazarus. Some believe that Simon might have been the father of Lazarus. We're not sure. But there had to be a lot of people. They were swarming. And at this dinner, you get about four characters. You get the disciples that Matthew says, they are indignant at the dinner when Mary pours out her ointment. And the word simply means they were angry. You've got Judas who feigned anger and was upset. But when you're a thief and you see money go on Jesus, you can't be too happy about it. And then you've got uh, Lazarus who says nothing. He hasn't even written a book yet. How it's like to go to heaven and come back. Four days, didn't have time to get it published. Then you've got Martha, the perpetual servant in the gospel narrative. Now, this time she's not fretting. In Luke 10, she was fretful and worried. But this time she's just serving. Just, it, it just, she's made to serve. So she prepared the dinner, orchestrating everything. Thank God for the women. If you didn't have women, you wouldn't have Thanksgiving. Amen. If you didn't have women, you wouldn't do a whole lot of stuff that gets done. Because I'm good at inviting, but I'm hoping she's home. And when I was at a Bible college one time, I, I, there was a, an important uh, official that came on the campus. I said, oh, come down to our house for tea. I ran down to tell Carolyn she had gone shopping. I never did that again without calling home because I was there by myself. Didn't look good. And so you have these women coming together. And so let's look at these characters. Let's see what's going on. Uh, I think um, there's three lessons I think I get out of the story before we develop it. Uh, Jesus is somebody worth being extravagant about. I call this extravagant love. When you take a year's worth of wages, did any of you drop that much money in the offering plate today? A woman took what was worth about $25,000 in today's money, probably had been a family heirloom or something she'd been saving all of her life since this family seems to be a rather prosperous family. But what she did in one act 
of taking 11 ounces, approximately, of Himalayan India produced nard came from that region. I mean, it is absurd to both the disciples and to Judas. So in the midst of everything, watch this, the circumstances. There's a plot going on to kill Lazarus. There is a death threat out to kill Jesus. He will march into Jerusalem riding not a white stallion, which was the horse of a conqueror, but the meek, lowly Jesus goes in on a donkey. And then after that, the plot thickens. We're going to kill this man. We will not have him be our king. And in the midst of all of this rejection, hate, anger, a woman dares do something that the rest of them were clueless to do. She says, I'm going to worship and adore him while I have him in my life. He's going to be dead within a week. And I'm going to do what I do for him as soon as I can. Jesus won't be dead in a week in your life, but you might be. So that whatever you're going to do for Christ, you must do today. Delay is no friend. Delay is no friend. You've been using that excuse all your life. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Today. So watch what she does. It's straightforward. She pulls out this ointment. She pours it on his feet. In the other Gospels, he, she also pours it upon his head. And she takes her hair, and she turns it into a towel. And the fragrance fills the air, and you want to write the hallelujah chorus. Amen? This is great. Man, the air is changed. We've got our sister over here at his feet, pouring it on his head taking her hair, which is her glory, and just say, I'll turn it into service for him. What's hair for if not to adore my Savior with? What's money for if not to adore my Savior? He just raised my brother. He is the resurrection and the life. I have no doubt about who he is. And in the midst of this adoration, in the midst of this marvelous pouring out of love, uh, she, she's going to start being rebuked. She's going to start being told, you're stupid. You don't know how to manage money. You, you don't, you, this is a waste. This is a waste. Anything you give to God is a waste. I take Money Magazine, and I take a few other magazines about money, and I barely get to read them. They're all telling me how to be rich. I've never had one of them tell me to be a giver. I've never had one chapter in that magazine that said, you ought to give to God first. And matter of fact, be as generous with God as you can. I've gone to some seminars on financial planning. Now, I know some financial planners that know the Lord. They've got a different perspective. But you're not going to find many of them that say, by the way, you need to make an extravagant gift to the Lord Jesus Christ at this Christmas season. Nobody on Wall Street's going to tell you to do that. No, no, no. And so we get a Wall Street rep here called Judas, who is a crook. And he begins to make the protest. I, 
I have to say, Christ is the only object of your heart that you really can't ever give too much. We'll look at our own lives after a while when I go home with this sermon. But here's this woman pouring out this unadulterated, overwhelming devotion. And the shock in it all is that there'd be any opponents. And they happen to be all men. Isn't that interesting? And the disciples were indignant, Matthew 26. Here we just focus in on Judas. Maybe he led the pack and created one, you know, bad apple can sour everybody. And so Judas, he begins to protest. No, no, uh, you're not using God's money. The, you notice it was her money anyway. Aren't some people experts at telling you how to spend your money? Judas, this hasn't cost you a dime. Not one dime. But you're an expert. You're an expert because you handle the little bag of money. You're the church treasurer. Tell Ron I wasn't picking on him. Uh, and he says, why wasn't this perfume sold? There's 300 denarii and given to the people. That's a year's wages. In the Gospels, a denarii was one day's worth of wages. You take out the 52 Sabbaths, and you got about a year's worth of wages. And notice, he didn't say this because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. And it's a present tense. He was always, always stealing from the money that came into the disciples, came into Christ. And then Christ speaks up. Let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with me, with you, but you do not always have me. Three parts of the rebuke. And I start at verse 8, work my way backwards. Uh, the first thing, leave her alone. You don't always have me near. The days of my incarnation are about over. The days that you could touch me, the days that you could do, I'm going to be gone within a week. I'm going to be gone. You will not always have me as I'm with you now in this body. The next time you see me in a body, you'll see a glorified, nail-pierced body. You'll be at the cross as many of you as make the trip because many of you fled me at that night. You never even got close to the cross. John got close, but now I want to tell you, the rest of the disciples weren't hanging out at Golgotha. They were hiding. They were running. We've got to be sure, and I ask you, when that offering plate goes around, when we talk about service, if you don't have Jesus in view, you're a vain worshiper, and you need your money refunded, but we're not going to do it. It's a 90-day offer. You can put into a lot of offerings and it never register in heaven. Because unless Jesus is the object of your affections and the goal, you're just in another form of religion that is powerless and wasted effort. You're just a philanthropist, but not really a worshiper. And so he says, she did the right thing. She redeemed the opportunity right now. She sees me. Right now, she did it. Two, I'm not against you, 
being good to the poor. But you'll have over 2,000 years to do that. She's only got this moment to have me. Only a week will I be around. The poor you have always. And no one said to be good to the poor any more than God. So he's not contradicting himself. But you've got me in your midst. You don't have a great burden for the poor. When did Judas ever help the poor? When did those that would interrupt the worship of Jesus and the extravagant display of love that gives large sums of money, that takes your hair, a Jewish woman to do this, she broke all protocol because Jewish women were not allowed to have their hair down in public. But she undid it because Numbers 5 said when a woman was accused of adultery, she had to let her hair down and let the priest examine her. It was a shameful thing, but she abandoned all custom, all that went on. I'm going to turn my hair into the towel that washes his feet and wipes all this ointment. What, I tell you, if I was a woman, I cannot imagine as a believing woman that I'd ever use my hair for anything greater. I washed the feet of my Messiah in the ointment, and I used my hair. What good is hair? What good is a body if it's not put at his feet and turned into his service? And so he says, hey, don't leave her alone. You don't always have me. You'll always have the poor. And then she's done this for the day of my burial. And, and this is almost prophetic. I don't know that Mary said, I know he's going to be dead soon. We don't know. It, it, it's a tough verse. But maybe it's the idea, I'm entering into his suffering. I've been saving this ointment for my own funeral. Because in Bible lands, decomposition happened quick. They expected the tomb to be full of stench when they went there for Lazarus. So he said, my Savior... My Savior will have the most precious ointment that can be bought. He will not fill a tomb full of human odor from dying and decomposition. Something I must tell you. God had promised Messiah in Psalms 110, when you die, I will see to it that no decomposition happens to your body those three days. He would not let his beloved see the corruption of the worm. Psalms 110. So there was no stench when you came to Christ's tomb. God took care of all the decomposition. But this woman, she doesn't know that. And she said, I am going to give now. My Savior shall be buried with the best of them. I've entered into his sufferings, and I want to give what I've got to him. So, Peter, he's in there with the other disciples. They're all angry about this. Judas is the spokesman. Judas, don't. I want to rebuke you. I won't always be here. The poor will be. And she's done something that anticipates the day of my burial. She did the deed now. And you know what? This Mary didn't go to the tomb. She didn't go. 
on that resurrection morning. Mary Magdalene went, but not this Mary. And so, uh, you see this contrast. Why did Judas have that attitude? Where did that come from? Uh, something is scary. Your attitude about money might indicate your spiritual danger. God told a young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, Timothy, don't determine to get rich, for if you do, you will fall into divers temptations that drown the souls of men. He said it to a pastor, not a financial planner, not a businessman, but a young pastor. I know when I started this church, my father asked me, what are you going to do to pay your bills? I said, well, I'm going to just pray and trust God, and if he doesn't take care of me, I'm leaving the ministry. There's no need of representing a God that can't take care of me. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, I've studied, been preaching, been going to school. I've come here to start a church. I didn't come here to be a part-time pastor. Well, well, there's no money. I know that, but there's still God, isn't there? Well, for whatever reason, I'm still here. I obviously have made it. I've obviously eaten. God obviously kept his word. And when we had the least, he supplied in abundant ways. You, you see, God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And he had all of Mary. He had all of Martha. Look at in that room. Two women pouring out the worship. One in service. The other in an extravagant gift. While the rest, and, and of course, Lazarus is saying nothing. But the, the rest of the spiritual elite are griping about the deed. I, I find it, it's an amazing thing until you get in church work and see people's about money. It's always good enough for them. But they get nervous if you pour out too much of it on others. And God's church, God's missionaries, God's work, God's work. But they could always want the best for them. But if it's for God and the church, give them leftovers. Because Christ is not the treasure of their life. These women, he was their treasure. Well, he does this strong rebuke. And uh, I think we have to notice this. Judas had always been a thief, never quit stealing. But the woman that was always at his feet, which meant the place of humility, the place of the learner, you often sat at the feet of a rabbi and you were being taught. Those who sit at the feet of Jesus are the ones who give the greatest of their life, their service, whatever means they have. In John chapter 20, Verses 30 and 31, he writes, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, he says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And at the end of the day, that's what our series through the book of John is all about, that you would believe that you would have life in his name. You have questions? We might have some answers. If not, we definitely have access to the one who does through prayer. 
We'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to get in touch with us. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, maybe you'd like to listen to today's program again or obtain the entire series, well, feel free to get a hold of us at 855-833-9864. Again, that's a toll-free call, 855-833-9864. Otherwise, you can visit our website, valleybible.org. We have resource materials available there, books, as well as information about who we are and what we believe. If you'd like to join us for worship at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our service time and location and directions can all be found again at valleybible.org. Or if you wish to speak with someone again, call 855-833-9864. Now, if you are writing to us, especially if you are planning to be a TFT sustainer, supporting the ministry financially as you're being blessed day by day here from Truth For Today. Well, you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Now, as a TFT sustainer, we'd like to remind you that no gift is too small, no gift is too large. And as you partner with us, please remember that your tax-deductible donation all goes back into the ministry, 100%. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, our annual special gift, and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. Plus, also the benefit of knowing that this ministry will continue here on KFAX Monday through Friday as well as Sunday. So contact us today, 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 